Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. The following program is a Forbes and Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Denise Ristari, and this is Mentoring Moments, a podcast where smart, witty, and bold women are sharing their triumphs and their skids. We aren't just talking, we're taking action, and we're inviting you to join us every Wednesday in my New York City apartment, where we are brought to you by Away. Away offers first-class luggage at a coach price. Visit awaytravel.com slash Forbes and use promo code Forbes to receive $20 off a suitcase away thoughtful luggage for modern travel first let me tell you about jenny blake so jenny knows how to pivot that's a word we're hearing a lot lately and she knows so much about pivot that her motto is if change is the only constant let's get better at it and she's so good at it that she wrote a book called pivot the only move that matters is your next one so what was she doing before she wrote that book? Well, she was at a technology startup for two years, then five years at Google in training and career development. And although she loved her time at Google, she had one of those moments that caused many people to scratch their heads when she announced that she was leaving that sexy job and moving to New York City. That was back in 2011, and she started her own consulting business. And that brings us back to pivoting. Because Jenny combines her love of technology with her superpower of simplifying complexity. And now she's helping clients pivot their business and their careers. So you can see why I'm so excited about being in the room with Jenny. Because I'm all about pivoting and I'm always looking for that. What is next? How do you keep building? How do you grow? Or how do you pivot? And every move that Jenny makes isn't planned. Serendipity is a big word in her life. And today we're moving things around. Really, I'm moving around because I'm not in my New York City apartment. I am here at Jenny Blake's apartment. So, Jenny, I'm going to kick right into my mentoring moment. The other night I was invited to speak to share my stories about reinvention, how I reinvented and reimagined my life. And I had 15 to 18 minutes to tell my story of reinvention. And I won't share that whole story today because we won't get to your story if I do that. But I'm going to fast forward to the beginning. I'll start there. I titled it Suddenly Denise because there is nothing sudden about how we get to where we are. And so I went through the journey of my life with a lot of suddenlies. And suddenly, you know, I have this great job at USA Today. And suddenly I'm a statistic. I'm a woman in her 30s trying to get pregnant. And the doctors are saying, Denise, somebody with your condition has an 18% chance of ever getting pregnant. And then suddenly I had find my daughter in the penny saver, which our listeners have heard the story about adopting my daughter. So it's a lot of those suddenlies because there's nothing sudden that happened in any of this. But I want to share the end with of what I was talking about today. The end was, and suddenly I'm 63. And I suddenly know that nothing happens suddenly. But my word for right now, I won't say for the whole year, but for right now is decadence. Oh, I love it. And the reason, and it's not the Gucci and the Prada decadence, but it's the decadence of 
really enjoying the great and simple things in life that can be, that gives a whole new meaning to what decadence is. And I started with a friend of mine is in Paris and she would send a daily email. And one day she was talking about sleeping in late and then having figs and cheese for breakfast. And she was like, this is so decadent. And I started to think, that, you know, sometimes we think decadence, we look it up in the dictionary and it says luxury and that's the Gucci, the Prada, that's the decadence of life. But I then was eating a bowl of vanilla ice cream that was homemade. And I thought, this is really decadence that when you take that bite and you bite into the vanilla bean mm. and you, you're able to really take that breath and enjoy what you're eating for the moment and to be able to really really enjoy the flavors of it, that that's what decadence is. But all along, all of my life, that bowl of vanilla ice cream has been sitting in front of me. But I had to go on this journey of the suddenly Denise moments to be able to get to this point, to be able to enjoy the decadence of the vanilla bean. So I wanted to share that because I think it plays in a lot with what you do and what you what you know, that suddenly your places, but it's all part of this journey. So have you been there? Have you? I love that. I love giving ourselves permission to place something like decadence at the top of the list of priority list or focus. I remember in 2015, my theme or word of the year was delight. And it gave me a similar feeling as when you said the word decadence, that what would it, what would it be like to orient my life and my days around delight, delightful moments, delightful experiences, people. And the following year, last year was serendipity. And I find that so much of decadence, as you said, the decadence of being in the moment of being present is also giving ourselves permission to enjoy. And to say that, you know, here in the States, we have such an emphasis on work and you are what you do. And it's all about hard work and capitalism and freedom and the American dream. And sometimes, at least for me personally, I felt that to pursue decadence or delight is somehow hedonistic that I'm, well, only on vacation or only in these cordoned off areas. But life's so much more fun when we can have that experience and feel good about it because it's not decadent if you are enjoying something, anything that you described, um, and, and then feeling guilty about it. That just takes, takes us out of that moment. So I love it. What a great word. Right. And I think so often we do feel guilty, right? Because we don't, it's not that I don't think I don't deserve it. And sometimes that could be it, right? It's like, I haven't worked hard enough for it. I didn't do this today and I should have done that work-wise But a lot of it is just, I'm so tired from working that I can't enjoy it. So it's, I've talked about this on the show many times and I'm a work in progress in it. I keep falling back into the trap of working, working, working and going, going and thinking there are more than 24 hours in any given day Mm -hmm. that I can get from here to there and back and forth and be every, you know, six places in one day. And at nighttime, you're just shot. And what you described, I have this association for some reason, probably partly how I was raised, but the movies are a reward. And it's very interesting because for me, I feel I have to earn going to the movies, or at least I used to feel this way. I had to earn somehow. So not not coming from a place of, oh, I don't deserve it, but what have I accomplished this week to allow me to go sit in a theater for two hours, no devices, totally unplugged. That used to be a really big deal for me. And actually, I could probably count 
on one hand, the number of times that I went to the movies while working on Pivot, my, my book, whereas now I live with my partner who you met, my partner, Michelle, he'll sometimes on a random Monday night or Tuesday night say, let's go see a movie. And I, I almost gasp like, oh, what? But I haven't accomplished anything. What have I done this week? What have I done to earn that movie? And it puts it into perspective for me because if I'm just on my own, I wouldn't necessarily notice that I was doing that. Think this belief of like, oh, I have to earn the happy thing or the decadent thing. Uh, and then, but in his mind, it's, um, there's no rules like that right. around it. And that's one small example, but it just highlights for me how subtle this feeling is sometimes. And it's not a terrible thing either to say, okay, great. Let me motivate myself, work, and then reward. But there is a balance. And I think sometimes, especially in New York City, it's easy to get carried away on the work side of things. For everyone, right, I was talking to the, an Uber driver the other day, and he was saying how burnt he is, mm-hmm. right? And it's a hard job. I mean, it's not an easy job. And this, this is a great story. He just met somebody. So he met a passenger who was flying him out to Denver. Wow. Who gave him a round trip ticket to Denver. But the person he met, this guy that he met said, but I don't know you well enough, so I'm going to fly you out, but I'm not putting you up in my home. Why is he like, flying him out? They hit it off in the car. I mean, I'm like, okay, I think what? crazy met crazy here. Oh my God. <laughs> it, was like, it, was, it was a New York moment story of, okay. Wow. So I was like, I'll pay for you to come out, but I, you can't stay in my home because I don't know you. I'm oh like, my okay. Gosh, that is so I won't say only in New York, but in New York. Yeah. In New York. So I want to hear your mentoring moment. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Well, it's funny because before we hit record, Denise mentioned that there would be this opportunity to share a mentoring moment. And my partner happened to be leaving. And she's like, oh, maybe you can share how you met, which is very funny because if you had asked me, I would have associated mentoring and a mentoring moment with work. And I would have pulled into my coffer something that had happened. And so I'm really glad that that came up because it's fun to... And man, sometimes I have to remind myself, not everything is about work. It's just crazy to shift. So my mentoring moment is, I mentioned this theme of serendipity. And so the story of how we met, I was 25 feet from my apartment. It was Saturday night. I had been, I'd finished Pivot. It was shipped. It was off to press, but not out yet. And Pivot's your book. Pivot's my book. I'd been working on it three years, living like a hermit. And 25 feet from my apartment, I was kind of bummed. It was Saturday night. I didn't have plans. I thought, oh, maybe I should have arranged something, like somehow have a date tonight, but I can't stand dating apps. And I always joke to friends and family when they pressure me, like, come on, what are you, what are you doing? Get on these apps. And I just say, um, I do real life Tinder or like serendipity is my dating app. That's it. And I love that. sure enough, I was walking down the street and walking toward me in the opposite direction was Michelle. And I was wearing overalls. Turns out he and his friend had been looking for overalls. They didn't know they were looking maybe for a girl in overalls, but uh, as (laughs) they were looking to like to buy overalls, to buy overalls because he's an artist. So he wanted overalls for his painting (laughs) adventures. And uh, he, as he was walking past me, it was in seconds, and he just mouthed the words "nice overalls," and I sort of mouthed and turned around because we had passed each other as this was happening, and I said, "Thank you so much." And then his friend turned back, "Where did you get them?" And we're starting to yell down the street as we both kept walking. So we came back together, talked briefly. Uh, exchange information turns out he's a painter and a voiceover artist and lives in the Lower East Side. I'm in Nolita, very close by. And that was it. And we went on our way. And so then I went and sat on a bench and texted my friends. And I just said, 
haha, you'll never believe this. Overalls are the new Tinder. Like who knew that just by wearing overalls? I didn't have a lot of money, extra money at that time. I remember it was a splurge to buy these overalls in the first place. So I joked that my overall ROI was, was good. It was working for me. And then the place they were going was closed. So they came back. They said, oh, you're still here. We're about to go to dinner in the East Village. Do you want to join? I did. Next thing I know, we're at dinner. Then a fundraiser in Williamsburg, then a bar in Brooklyn. And and uh, we've been together since. We now live together and spend a little over a year meeting him and meeting him in that way and how the, the world slowed down. It truly, it sounds cliche, but the, kind of my universe spun on its axis and life was not the same after that moment is a daily reminder to me that anything can happen at any time. And I love serendipity. And I do think that it can be cultivated somehow and how we met and then feeling the soul level, the connection on a soul level of not really knowing we're very different in a lot of ways. We have a lot in common, but we're also very different. But to also my mentoring moment is also just really having an intuitive sense of people and projects and trying to lean on intuition more and more rather than my mind alone or what I should be doing. And I agree with you about the serendipity and that I always say with my husband, Lewis and I, we're very different on so many levels, but we have that integrity and moral compass mm. that is so in alignment and we have a mutual respect for each other. Yes. And I think, you know, that is, those are the three keys. If you're, if somebody would say to me, you know, what are the keys to a great relationship? Cause I have a fabulous relationship. I have a wonderful husband. I mean, I, I just, I love Lewis. I love my life. It's, it couldn't get better, but it's because I think those are the basic keys mm. that we have, the integrity, the moral compass, and the mutual respect for each other. So before Jenny and I start to get into our conversation about what are those deep gut feelings, I want to talk about something that both my husband and I, well, we both agree that I need, and that's new luggage. As I've said many times on the show, if I can't fit my stuff in a bag that fits in the overhead, I'm not taking it. And my old luggage is just like, well, it's old. So I read this post in Forbes about two women. They're from New York. They're on the Forbes under 30 list. They worked for Warby Parker and they created this really fabulous new luggage called away luggage. And they did it because they were solving a problem they had. They needed great luggage that has power, like literally power. And then there's the other kinds of power. And if you aren't singing my I need to fit everything in the overhead song, well, away comes in four sizes. So they have the two carry-on sizes, a medium size, and a large size for those extended stays. But no matter what size you pick, each piece has four wheels. And for me, that's a must. And it's lightweight. So for me, that is really a must because when I'm putting my luggage in the overhead, I refuse to be one of those women who is like, can you please help me? I need to carry my weight and I need to lift it. And then it has a removable and a washable laundry bag so my dirty clothes don't have to like get friendly with my clean clothes, which I love. So the hard part for me, though, is picking a color because they have these like nine great colors. So I thought, you know what, I'll keep it conservative. I'll start off with the asphalt. It's kind of neutral. And then I saw the yellow and thought, ooh, I, that kind of brings out my personality. And then I saw the white and decision made. It's white. So they make it really easy to buy. It's a 100-day trial. You can take it back for any reason. And when you keep it, it's guaranteed for life. And shipping to the lower 48 states, it's free. Okay, if you're thinking, sounds great, but what's the price? Well, even more good news. Away starts out with a lower price because they cut out the middleman. 
and the price just got better. You get $20 off a suitcase when you visit awaytravel.com slash Forbes and use promo code Forbes during checkout. It's $20 off when you visit awaytravel.com slash Forbes and use promo code Forbes during checkout. It's time to break the cycle of waste and mess. Time to stop accepting that the way things have been done are the way they should be done. Control-Alt-Delete everything you thought you knew about how to period. We're flipping the script, we're throwing out the book, we're challenging the period status quo. The Diva Cup is eco-friendly, reusable, and offers up to 12 hours leak-free protection. So what are you waiting for? Join the inner revolution with the Diva Cup. The Diva Cup is used for menstrual flow only. Always read and follow the user guide. Hey everyone, it's former WWE host Lillian Garcia. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever wonder how your favorite stars make it to the big time? Then come check out my new show, Chasing Glory with Lillian Garcia on PodcastOne.com. Hear me chat with some of your favorite athletes and entertainers about their rise to the top. It's about to get real, raw, and inspiring. So join me for new episodes every Monday on PodcastOne.com, the new Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Mentoring Moments is brought to you by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. Now back to the conversation with Jenny. So how are you really tapping into your gut more? Because I find that hard sometimes to really know when is your gut speaking to you? Yeah, I read a great book by a mentor and now friend of mine, Penny Pierce, called The Intuitive Way. And so much of it starts with just the intention of I want to hear my intuition because a lot of times... At least for me, I was probably subconsciously tuning it out because I was afraid of whatever it was going to tell me. That if when we are not as connected to our intuition, it tends to come at us through the gut instinct. So at the most visceral level about our safety when something's really bad for us or bad is about to happen. And so we're kind of, if you're not practiced in the subtler forms of intuition, it can feel like, oh man, whenever I get a gut instinct, it's like it rocks my life or it gives me this piece of information about leaving a job or relationship that's very hard. But as you start to flex the muscle more, I and Penny gave me this metaphor, but it's like tuning into a radio station that intuition is always on and it's always available. You just have to tune in, just change the channel from the day-to-day or the mind the mind only to what's on intuition radio and so you could check in multiple times a day and just say what does my gut say or like close your eyes and what's the inner feeling and is it an inner yes or an inner no and and sometimes it's about being able to separate what does your intuition say from having to take action on it because a lot of times we conflate oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to do. It may not be true. Maybe it's that I know what to do, but I'm afraid of having a tough conversation or taking action or what people will say. And so at least giving intuition the space, talking to it, having a relationship with it, and then allowing these intuitive hits to be present without the pressure to act on them right away so that you don't cloud it 
Because I right. think sometimes it can be hard to hear intuition if it's clouded by fear. Exactly. And if you're not, to, and I think the more we do it, then we yes. realize that it works, right? That, yeah. Because you say, okay, that really worked. That was my intuition telling me not to do that or do that. And I, I did what my intuition said and, and it worked. And you were just saying about when you were talking about what people think. And um, so you left Google mm-hmm. and a great job yeah. to go out on your own and to, to be an author. Do people think you were crazy? So let's talk about that. Definitely. I, definitely. Act like I haven't like, read your book. Act like I know nothing. <laughs> talk about mentoring moments. I remember when I was thinking of leaving Google, I was working on the coaching and career development team at Google and working with the authors at Google program. And I remember talking to a mentor of mine who was an independently self-employed coach, career coach. And as I was struggling with this question, and I remember telling not just her, more than one person, more than one mentor on the outside. And they said, oh, you're thinking of leaving? Can you put in my resume? And that was so hard for me to hear because I felt like, no, that can't be true. Like, you're my inspiration. I'm leaving to go do what you're doing. And if you're the one saying, can you put in my resume? It was very strange for me because it felt like I somehow was not making the right choice if these mentors of mine were wanting the job that I had. What am I thinking to go out on my own? And why on earth did I think that I could support myself better than Google? That your mentors wanted your job. I love that. Yeah, it was so, it was very <laughs> right. disconcerting to me That's of right. all things. I mean, you know, my mom didn't really agree with my choice to leave when I did, but I don't know what was worse. Like the mentor saying, can you put in my resume right. or my mom saying you're crazy. But I, um, it was very hard to believe that I could somehow build my own business that would make me happier, have me earn equal or greater or work less even would have been a blessing. Um, uh, meet as many people, have as many connections. It was Google is very sexy to tell people that that's where I work. But I have to say, I was also sometimes unclear if people were reaching out to me because of me or because they wanted an in somehow at Google. So it was very scary to leave, but I'm happy to say I'm here. It's six years later now. And even when I was at my lowest financially or unclear about what the hell I was going to do next in my own business, there has not been one minute of one day where I regretted my decision. And I loved my time there. So it has nothing to do with Google not being an amazing place to work. The five years I spent there was like getting the most incredible MBA. But I say that not a minute of one day of regret because it has reinforced that it was the best decision for me. It really, really was. And so no matter how tough times have gotten in my own business, I'm still so glad every day to be doing it. So was there that moment, I know when I left USA Today, I was there for 16 years. And the day that I decided to resign, it was... I'm ready to give it up. It's like somebody else needs to, it was a couple of things, somebody else, I'm ready to give up the office. Mm -hmm. And I say that in quotes, because it wasn't about the office, but the office in quotes. And I'm ready for somebody else to come in and do what they want to do. And then I thought we need fresh blood, but I was there for 16 years. So a little different. 16 years is so much of your identity. Oh my God. I was Denise at USA Today. I didn't have a last name. It was, I'm Denise at USA Today. And then suddenly I became, suddenly I became Denise Rastari. That was another suddenly moment. Scary to do that, to leave the big brand. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I mean, everybody was great to me for the first couple of months, all my old clients, because my clients were the hotel presidents and mm. the CEOs, um, vice presidents of all the hotel companies, because one of the things I did was that get your newspaper at the mm. hotels that came in under my department. And for the first month or so, they would return all my calls. But when I had nothing to offer them anymore, our friendship was based on our business relationship. Mm. And a few of them, we remained friends, but the majority 
and and that was fine. I mean, it was, I felt the same way as well, but it was that moment of saying, I'm just, I, I really need to move on. Did you have that moment? I did. I, I knew I couldn't. I was doing a blog and a book on the side and working full time. It was too much. I knew that I couldn't sustain both much longer. And so at that fork in the road of should I take a risk and go all in on my own stuff, my own creative projects, or do I stay here? The thing I would have regretted was not at least trying to go out on my own. I was willing to try and fail. And if I tried and failed, at least I could live with myself knowing that I tried. But if I'm here giving career advice about being authentic and taking great leaps and all of the things that I had been saying at that time and was unwilling to do it myself, well, that really was going to great against my value of integrity. Just like you said, Denise, I have a huge value around integrity, authenticity, walking my talk, be, you know, and so at that point, I just couldn't even keep doing this work and spreading the message I was about career if I was unwilling to do it myself. And the funny thing, I was so afraid of what would happen after leaving Google and not being attached to the big brand. And then it's so funny. One, we're still working together today. They're rolling out Pivot as global career development training, which is so exciting. And I had more clients hire me seeing that I had left to say, oh my God, if you left Google, it means I can leave my job. And and they would hire me for years. And even now, I'm so grateful for my time there because it informed so much of the work I do today. So I believe that it's all perfect. And the amount of time we spent, and I'm sure for you, you as well, that what you learned and who you became while working at USA Today, that in the beginning, for me, there's this distancing period, like, I don't want to be, I'm my own person. And then I've been able to come back around and say, I'm so proud of my time there. It's absolutely has informed what I do today. And now I'm happy to just have both and have it all integrated, but no, I still work for myself. That's, that's what <laughs> really feeds my soul. Okay. So let's get into that life of an entrepreneur. Has it been all roses? Has it been financially an ups like a, a great day every well, day, but you bought your overalls day, every day. I, when I was leaving Google, my big fear was what if I end up in a van down by the river? Truly, like, what if I'm wiped out? <laughs> but that's a great visual yeah. van down by yes, the river. That Saturday Night Live skit with <laughs> yes. Chris Farley. Yes. And, uh, so I made myself also, whenever that fear would come in, I would say, what if I earn twice as much in half the time? Because, hey, if scenario A was possible, then so is scenario B. And that really helped me to work toward that vision of how can I earn twice as much in half the time or four times as much in a quarter of the time. And it took me years. I've been doing this six years, but it is happening now, that vision. And it has been hard work. But the thing that I love about self-employment is setting my own schedule and setting my own projects. For the most part, I can work on what I want to work on when and how I want to. And that really fits my personality. And I didn't think I was cut out for entrepreneurship. I thought I was great at following directions and sort of like <laughs> being a, I would always in high school sports, I would always get coaches award. Like I was the coach's favorite. I was teacher's assistant. I was always a good follower in that sense. On the other hand, when I look back as a kid, I loved playing business. I was always starting little ventures. So that's the thing I love is just the creative control and the, and the being able to wake up in the morning and read for a few hours if that's what I want to do. And so the money, money itself has never been the goal. I believe that I have as much as I need to have. And I'm, I do have a sense that in a larger sense, I'm provided for in some way. And but I mean, of course, I try and be strategic too. The freedom was so much more valuable to me than the specific 
earnings. And then I, I see it as a fun challenge of, okay, how can I grow the business even further to support the lifestyle, but not really the other way around. Like I don't just say, Oh, I, I want to make a million dollars. Why? It's not necessary. I try and really be happy and present with what I have exactly right now. And it's fun to learn how to systematize things even further or reach even more people and help even more people. And then in an ideal world, the financial piece is reflected within all of that. I would say we had not met before today and meeting you and Michelle this morning, there is such a wonderful spirit Mm. between that you have a wonderful spirit. He has a wonderful spirit and collectively there is just (laughs) a wonderful, there really is. And I think that, and what you were just saying, and I wanted to make that point Mm. because I think a lot of times people will say that, but you don't really believe it. Mm. It's kind of like, that's my message for the day, (laughs) but it's not like deep down, but it really is deep down for you that, and you can just sense it, that there are things that are more important to you in life than making a million dollars. And it would be great if a million came. Yeah, you're talking, so everybody, want to, you want to send it yeah, yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Send it yours. She's not I'm rejecting open. it. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. I'm still right. open. But Thank that's you. why it will come to you. Thank you right. so much. Because you're not, I, we were just talking, I was talking about this with someone the other night that Libby Moore, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. who has been on the show and she was Oprah's chief of staff for 11 years. And I, I said to her the other I really want to quit introducing you as Oprah's chief of staff yeah, for 11 years, right? Interesting. Because she is Libby Moore. I mean, this has been six years ago that she left the Oprah show and she is a life coach and she does all these amazing things. But as you were talking about a title and and that brand association, right? So the other night Libby was talking about how so often we do things with the, I want to go here because maybe I'll meet so-and-so. And And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you start to do things just because you want to do them, as you were just talking about how you met Michelle, that's when the real things start to happen. It's like, I want to meet this person because I want to meet them as a person, mm. not because what they do, because they can connect right. me to so-and-so. And we're just are like so focused on, especially in a place here like New York and a lot of other major cities throughout the country, in that with the wrong intent, it's kind of, and we're not enjoying what we're doing because we're going in with, and that's not saying you don't want to network with intent. Is that making sense? It's- yeah, or we think that the only road to get to these things is hard work or right. trying or, as people would say about dating, it's a numbers game. And I, the, the, the idea of it's a numbers game made me cringe. I couldn't do it. I was always would rather be reading a book <laughs> than on a date with someone that like didn't – there wasn't a spark. And you can tell within seconds if it's there. And so – and then – I know it works for many, many people, but I just don't believe in following rules that are set out that may not work. I mean, whether it's like even I don't eat breakfast, I do intermittent fasting. And so even there's so much propaganda, like you need three square meals a day. And I just think question everything. There's no reason not to ask, well, do I run some small experiments? How does it feel in your body? Like when you even hear the thought, it's a numbers game or it takes work. How does that land? And I love coming back to this idea of decadence or delight. I did a five-day silent meditation retreat at the beginning of this year over New Year's. I, and where did you do that? Amazing. This place called Springwater. So it's not a Vipassana retreat. It wasn't that strict, which I loved. It's kind of agnostic in the sense that there was no rules. Even the, the people leaving the retreat said, come participate in whatever you want leave whatever, whenever you want. We just ask that you not read or write in public spaces or talk, of course. But beyond that, they didn't care. There was no like strict rules about anyway. This was so wonderful, Denise. I can't tell you how good it felt not to talk for five days. My phone was in airplane mode and 
one message that kept coming to me was abundance with joy and ease. What would it be like to pursue my work, which I love work. I love creating things. I love working with people and helping them in some way or being helpful in some way. But how can I do that with joy and ease and not assume that if I slow down, if I work on things that are joyful in a way that is easeful, that I'm going to become a starving artist. Like in my mind, there's sort of, it was a previous association about that, that if I slow down or if I prioritize joy and ease and even decadence, that, well, that's not how you earn a good living or that's not how you support yourself in New York City. Why not? So now I'm kind of holding the candle that, yes, it is possible and seeing what that's like. And it's, it's fun. I love this. I love yeah. this. And I even have a, I did a podcast, How Can I Optimize for Revenue and Joy?, why not have our activities meet at the intersection of revenue and joy? There's no reason then. So I don't believe in shunning money altogether. There's a great book called Creating Money for anyone who wants to look at the energetics of money and abundance beyond like tactical financial principles. But I love asking the question that includes both rather than thinking it has to be either or. That is so priceless. And it's so hard for women your age, I think, in your decades of being able to come to grips with that. So you're so enlightened. Mm, <laughs> you. really are. And I will say this, as I said, I'm, you know, I'm in my 60s. There is so much more out there. Mm. That, and, and we should be able to make our joy. Mm. Be, it's great when they, when they do intersect. Before we get into the segment you've all been waiting for, I'm done with that. Let me tell you about the business platinum card from American Express. First of all, it's the card I carry, and it's the card I used to launch my business. It's because business can be done from anywhere, in the palm of your hand and at the source. However you move your business forward with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum card, backed by the service and security of American Express. This is Mentoring Moments with Denise Rostari. So now that we've talked about what we're doing, I want to talk about what we're done with. So let's go into I'm done with that. And I'll start because I'm sitting here playing with some Play-Doh that you gave me. (laughs) Because when I came here this morning, I was telling you something that I am done with. And I'm going to share that with everyone now as well. And so you gave me the Play-Doh. So I'm done with thinking and keeping everything and putting my hands up to my head, everything between my ears, everything in my head. I'm done with not thinking with my hands. And when I say that, I will say I'm done with not thinking with my hands. And I actually move my hands. Hands. And I can feel this creative energy so that's cool. in our hands that when we're making something. So I've, you know, I've talked about this. I'm taking cooking classes and now I'm taking, I'm going to take some pottery classes and you just turned me on to one that's closer to my home than the thought I, when I thought I would. And I want to take some jewelry making classes. I just want to connect back to the earth and make something that is with my hands And to have those creative juices flowing in a different way. And I think cooking is a great way. So I've been spending time at the farmer's market and talking to the farmers and learning what they're doing and how they grow things. And someone had said, you know, you should go to France and see how they're growing things because they grow differently. And I'm like, okay, but that would be a hardship. Okay, I'll go to France (laughs) and learn how to grow. I don't care what they're growing. I'll go there and learn how to grow it. So that's my thing I'm done with. I'm done with only thinking 
that everything has to be between my ears mm. and stuck in my head because I'm exhausted. Right? <laughs> I gotta tell you, yeah. I just want to make something. I want to make a product. I love it. It's so in line with. I've been thinking the same thing. That's how I even discovered that ceramic studio in the West Village because me too it's it's amazing like we can we can celebrate the internet and our mobile phones and our laptops we can celebrate how much freedom they've given all of us and how much connection and transparency they've created and at the same time are they not driving us all a little crazy you know it's yes like, I will answer that yes <laughs> we're so with an exclamation and, point and everything we're doing is so abstract it's all mental it's ideas it's in our mind we're reading writing talking but it's all in our mind where has the rest of our body gone that's why I love practices like yoga and Pilates because it at least once a day connects my body to my breathing to my whole system so I love the thing of, of done thinking only with your head and, right. and wanting to think with your hands. So I want everyone to do that. Like say, yeah. I'm not going to think with my head. I'm going to do something with my hands and do something because you it. think you really and see how you think differently. It'll help you even be more. What I found is it helps me be more creative about the work stuff that's between totally. my ears. And it might well. be doodling, cooking, gardening, clay. We're playing with Play-Doh. Right. That's why I bought the right. Play-Doh was because I read <laughs> I buy something some. about it. It's I very grounding. It's to, because you're like dealing with something from the fun. earth. Right. And then there's a little, I don't know about you, but even sitting to do a podcast, we're sitting all day as well. I mean, you're on the go. It's cool that you're just mm-hmm. mobile studio. But so we're sitting. So why not have something active, something that we can... I don't know. It's just fun. It's like having those uh, worry beads or something. Right. There's this new thing I got on Kickstarter called the fidget cube. It's this cube that has like a button to click, a button to push, something to rub, something to twist. It's so fun. I saw this. Isn't it like, was it made to begin with for it's kids so with great. ADHD? Probably. That, was probably. that what it started now with? It was like all those right. adults who have right, all those. Right. Yeah, I, saw, yeah. I saw some people playing with one in Washington Square Park the other day. So great. So, so what are you and done with? What am I done with? I am done with shoulds. Definitely. Oh, that's a good one. Definitely. They're sneaky. <laughs> They're sneaky. I'm noticing. <laughs> so yeah. done with sneaky done shoulds. Done with sneaky <laughs> shoulds where I just assume like, oh, I should do that. And I'm done with letting, I mean, really my, my Achilles heel is just email. It feels like it's always on my mind. It's the thing that gets through to me and gets to me. Like I should answer email. I should get back to people in this amount of time. And I'm always a work in progress on that front, but I just, I'm so done with letting something like my email inbox tyrannize my time or even dictate how I'm going to spend my time. And we were talking about, you said there's so much more important now that I live with someone. I've never lived with someone. I was a partner or someone I was dating and it's been six or seven months now. And I can just so clearly see the choice of, I can spend an hour talking about the books we're reading over tea or emailing. And I know people who have kids might say the same thing. I don't have kids, but uh, that it's like, it becomes such a clear choice at that point. And then such a clear demonstration of what does feel more important in that moment, which is connection and people and relationships. And so I'm very grateful to be in a situation that's putting that front and center for me, because when I lived alone and worked alone, it was just very easy to let those things consume more of my time than they probably needed to. So what are the things that you think that you should do that you're getting rid of kind of from doing so email? Like is there a um, certain amount like of time in responding? Yeah, like the, the mental 
or, or like worrying about response time or, you know, I've gotten better. I'm not good at email. anyway, But I think kind of we've, we've, it's been such a theme of the day, but even around how much work I should be doing, I even question a five day work week. Why says who, why just it's a holdover from I'm the factory I'm hanging out with you system. more. Yeah. <laughs> okay. and We're going to go do Pilates. Yeah. We're gonna go Yoga, ceramics, right cooking, right. cookies. Right. Great. This sounds super fun. Who would, and, and uh, why, why an eight hour work day or more? I mean, I just don't, I've not been doing that for a long time, but what, I mean, why I'm so much more focused if I know I have a shorter chunk of time. And lately I've been scheduling where I'll have a week of calls and podcasts and then two weeks off. Why not? The shoulds around how much I should be working or how, or when, or what that needs to look like, or how much to produce. I just, I'm constantly in a work in progress around dropping. So do you feel like you're as productive? I do. I feel getting like, as much done when um, you're when you're taking those two weeks off. Do you feel like it's you both? It does really refresh me. So I feel so much more present and clear and joyful when I am in a work sprint mode. And then my latest thing, I just created and launched a course called Delegation Ninja. And the reason I bring it up is every moment of creating it was so fun. I got lost track of time. I loved building it. I was actually excited to talk about it and write the sales page, which is rare for me. I don't love the sales and marketing side of things in general. And it really put into contrast compared to things I procrastinate on, like writing articles for other people's sites, let's say, even big name sites. I procrastinate, I dread it, I, I put it off, I fret over it. Is that and because you're perfect? Is it perfection play into it at all? I don't know. I don't know if it's about my strengths. I don't know if it's about the subject matter, but it really just brought up this notion of like, what is the formula here? How can I do more of that stuff that has me in a joy zone and less of the work that even if it feels like I should do it, doesn't actually bring me as much joy in the moment. So from your book, if you could give, pull out one, two, three, whatever, you can pick the number of takeaways to give to someone in their 20s, a year after writing your book, or you wrote your book a year ago, yeah, right? It came, it came out. out in September. Right. Yeah. So now a year later, because I think a lot of times after we do something, we, we then you're on the tour and you're talking yeah. to a lot of people and you're learning even more than you knew when you wrote the book. What would you tell someone in their 20s, like three main things mm. they need to know? I wrote the book to help us all better answer the question, what's next? Because I felt like every time I hit a pivot point or plateau, that question created tremendous stress and existential searching. And I really beat myself up thinking there's something wrong with me. Why do I keep hitting these pivot points? Why does it keep feeling like a crisis? So, so one, number one, I would say, nobody knows what's next. We are all flying by the seat of our pants. It's just the way it is now. It's the way our economy is. Yes, while it's true, there are people who are in jobs for many, many years. So many more of us are in a constant sort of state of not knowing and that that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's a big shift. I think that's even starting to happen more and more within the last five years. The next thing I'd say is it's so critical to focus on what you are good at, what is working, what you do know that you want. You don't have to know specifics, but say a year from now, how do you want to feel? What values are important to you? What strengths, um, you know, when are you most in the zone? When is time flying? What? How do you want to learn and grow? Even if it doesn't seem work-related, like cooking classes, I mean, who knows? But then 
we're talking and you do have some project ideas that might come from that. Uh, and what kind of impact do you want to have? You know, how, how do you want to interact with the world around you? The third thing I would say is piloting or small experiments. So testing ideas, because I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to know what our next move is going to be career wise. And it's a big question. There's a lot of fear that can come with career change and not all pivots have to be massive changes even at that. But instead of trying to decide upfront what the big next move is going to be, why not experiment with several different things? So in my business, after the book came out, I lined up many different business streams of income. I had no clue which ones were going to take off. And even now, it'd be hard to tell you exactly how I'm going to be earning every penny of my living a year from now. But I know that I have all these concurrent experiments that will start to pick up a momentum of their own or they won't. And that will help me inform, okay, what to double down on and invest even more into and what to pull back on. And so that experimentation process really helps take the pressure off and allows you to break down what is just the one next step I can take like a ceramics class or a cooking class or a project or even podcasting, what is something small or relatively small that I can do now without putting the pressure on it yet to be the one big thing? And since I've read your book, I'll give you a fourth tip that you can give. So you can finish off your tips. Go ahead. Your fourth tip. A fourth tip? Would be to launch. To launch? Oh, yeah. I mean... Launching just depends when you're ready to kind of go all in on a new direction. But really, I would say the fear of failure holds a lot of us back in some ways. At least I can speak for myself. And when I work with coaching clients, I always like to ask, what does that actually mean? You know, what is this fear of failure can be so abstract. So try and pull back and just say, well, what is what is the worst case scenario? And how can I make my next steps even smaller so that in the end, so much of failure, I think it's really about what will people say or think that takes us back to dropping shoulds, right? Because it's so much better. You know, I joke in the book that people who I call high net growth individuals, we don't have FOMO, fear of missing out. We have font, fear of not trying. So in the end, what would you regret more trying and somehow having to pivot again and it not succeeding or not trying at all? And I'm guessing for anyone listening to a podcast like yours, Denise, it's the first that we want to know that we tried. And that's the thing that we're proud of, not necessarily a specific outcome. When I was leaving USA Today, I, it wasn't my smartest move because I was I, I waited until I was way too burnt. Mm. And then I wanted to do something really fun. And so I was 47 and I went with a startup and she was 24. And it was her first million was her. She graduated like top in her class at MIT. And the next five million was daddy's. And we just blew through money. I mean, it was like insane. And so it wasn't my smartest move. And I wish I would have read your book mm. back then because – you, you didn't have your book back then. That was like 12 years ago. But I wish your book was then. Because one thing I didn't do was look at what I'm best at. Mm. I just took this fun opportunity that was that appeared to be fun in front of me versus thinking, what am I really good at? And I remember the first day at that job, I was kind of thinking, what am I really going to do here? Mm. Because I wasn't quite sure. It was like, well, this will be fun. And then it's like, okay, what am I actually going to be doing? Now, that has led to some great things. Yeah. But a consultant said to me, someone said, you know, you need to be the um, COO of this company. I no more want to be a COO than shoot <laughs> me, right? I'm such a 
creative soul. It's yeah. like anything it says operating in it. It's just like, no. So he was like, you know, but you need that title. And she said, you don't understand Denise at all. She doesn't care about the title. She cares about the next opportunity. What's around the corner. She wants to know what's around the corner, not the title. And that has carried through with me ever since then and thinking it's not the title. It's really about what can I learn? I'm really eager to learn. I mean, it's like, then that's part of the cooking. It's like, I want to learn new things. And if I don't like them, learn something else that's new, right? It's not the end of the world. But I think sometimes we just put so much pressure on ourselves and thinking that this decision is the, it's like, I have to make this work because I made this decision. It's like, if I take ceramics and I hate ceramics, (laughs) oh, well, maybe I meet someone great. Maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll find an Uber driver along the way who tells me another crazy story about being flown out to Denver. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to come up with. And with a learning orientation, every experience is worthwhile because you're learning and growing. And in fact, you could even take it further, which is to say every experience on our path and every person on our path is there for our highest learning and evolution. And if, for me, whether the, whether that's actually true or not, it helps me stay really positive and engaged because I can see every situation, even the challenging ones, as teachers somehow. Well, everyone should be as lucky as I am to be sitting here with you because <laughs> I you. love, Likewise. love, love your spirit. Likewise. And, well, thank you. Such a joy. And so now we're going to go to our final segment of takeaways. And I've crowdsourced questions from our listeners Great. that they want to ask you. And here's one that I really love because I want to hear the answer to this. What do you hear young women saying that drives you crazy? I don't know if it drives me crazy, but always has me uh, want to just jump in. And it's it's this idea that, and I've heard young people, whether it's women or men, say, well, I just want someone to tell me, you know, how do I get promoted? Or what's my career path here? Or promise me that I'll have a job here? Or just any kind of waiting for either a promise of security or approval or recognition, these things that um, you could drive yourself crazy waiting for someone else to promise you something that ultimately they can't give. So I really would encourage anybody, if you find yourself sort of waiting for approval or some kind of external either validation of where you are or where you're going or any kind of promise about the future, it's it's not really possible. So I think it's so much better to ask, like, how can I make the most of this right now? What can I do to feel more fulfilled in my life and work without waiting for anybody to hand it to me? So instead of waiting for a promotion to take on the types of projects that you want, ask for them, initiate them, start them at work, or instead of waiting until your job somehow reaches this nirvana state of fulfillment suddenly take it yeah suddenly to take it into your own hands and what can you create what can you know so if you i think any time and of course i have to catch myself doing this too but complaining in general is not that helpful we're done we're done with complaining we're done with complaining if you're complaining about something there's likely something you can do or there's a reason that you are noticing it so by the time you find yourself complaining i i so much prefer to ask how am I creating this situation or why is it here? Why am I noticing it? And what can I do about it? How can I shift my perspective so that this thing doesn't even bother me anymore? And if you can do that, it's the most empowering thing 
and it took me a long time to figure this out because if you can shift your inner world to not be bugged by so many outer world circumstances, then you're free because it's you're less um, affected or, or waiting or, or your happiness does not depend on other people. And so if you want a resource for doing that, I love Byron Katie's work. Uh, she has her, the, the main book is called Loving What Is, and it's just about accepting reality, accepting whatever's here now is exactly what you need to evolve. And so how can, what you said, Denise, like how can you see it as a lesson and as a signal for you to take some kind of action, even if that action is waiting and not knowing right now and accept it rather than rejecting a person, a situation, the reality of, or wishing things were different because ultimately that just doesn't, doesn't put fuel in the tank. And I think in complaining, when we're not taking responsibility, we can't change it. Exactly. So if it's somebody else's fault, we can't change that. And there will always be, it's like Mm whack-a-mole you know because if you're complaining and you're just waiting for the outside people or circumstances to change they'll change but there will be one right behind it that has the exact same vibration or energy that is until you learn the lesson it's going to keep showing up and probably louder and louder and louder until you realize oh it's not them it's me it's happened to me in the dating sense even when i met michelle i was falling into a certain pattern that um for the first time talk about an aha moment i realized I have felt the same way with the last five people that I've been dating. It's me. It's not them. It's not about, it's something I need to shift. I need to find my centeredness. I need to find my core, my groundedness, my ability to be at home in myself. Otherwise, um, I'm always going to be able to just complain and point to the other person and their flaws and their problems. And that's just going to keep getting me the exact same results. I tell people all the time, whenever you're in a relationship, whether it be work, usually this is more a personal conversation, that until you start to look at how you got into that situation, and I'm not saying beat yourself up, that's not what it's about, but it's like really taking that look and saying, what was I looking for? Why did that person attract me? Was it because I thought that I was missing something in my life and they filled that void? And I used to date a guy who became a stalker, Mm -hmm. and I've told this story on the podcast before, but he was hiding in my closet and stuff. So then when I met the next guy, my criteria was I called my brother and I was like, you're going to love Vito. He would no more think about hiding in my closet. Yeah. And my brother's like, honey, you, that can't be the criteria for who you date. Because <laughs> most people aren't going to hide in your closet. Yeah. So you really have to take that look at yourself. And it's like, what what attracted me to him? So I don't do that again. Yeah. And anytime you're in pain, or I call it agitation, whether it's anxious, jealous, sad, disappointed, that agitation is an invitation to your freedom. Like anytime you're agitated, and I really learned this through Byron Katie and even Gary Zuckoff, um, Seat of the Soul, which was, he was on Oprah in 1987, blew up his work. But it's like, your agitation, it's not that the other person did something. There's a reason you're agitated. And if you could get become a detective and figure out what is it within me that is getting triggered by this person, of course, stalking, that's extremely right. stressful. <laughs> right. But it's like, it's what is it within stressful. me that right. even in a relationship, it'd be so easy to just complain about our partner or, or say, oh, you're doing something and it upsets me. But what I love about the Zuckoff work is it's about spiritual partners, is about growth. How are you helping me grow? How am I helping you grow? How is the situation helping us grow? Not just, can you please make me comfortable? Yes. Can you please stop agitating me or bugging me? And can you, because we start to then henpeck the other person into obedience 
which doesn't make anybody happy. No, and it doesn't Nobody work. Nobody wants it that. Doesn't it doesn't work. Doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. work. Right. And you'll always. And why would you want to do that bugged. to someone? Right? Exactly. Like, we wouldn't want it done to you. Right. So it's it's just that personal responsibility thing, which is tricky. It's tricky. It's it tricky, and it and it reveals a lot of blind spots. Which is so everybody has their homework. It's yeah. like got to go some play doh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've, we've got a lot cooking. I could just sit here with you, like, and not leave your place. Same. So you and Michelle are coming to my place, and yes. we're gonna have drinks on the rooftop. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> so tell us where we can find you, though. In the meantime. The best place now is pivotmethod.com. If you go to slash toolkit, there are a ton of free templates related to the book. And if you want, I have a private community called Momentum for anyone looking for a little more support. I do Q&A calls twice a month. That's at pivotmethod.com slash momentum. And if you haven't read the book, you have to read it. It's just great. And I want to thank Laura Zaro and Christina Valletta for connecting us because that was our initial connection with was two women. And I love to tell those stories because I think that that's how we, instead of that intention of saying, I'm going to go out and meet so-and-so, it's when we start connecting yeah. each other just because someone says, you would love Jenny Blake and how right they are. Oh, thank totally. you so much. Thank you so thank much, you. Thank you, everyone, for listening. So this has been a great conversation with Jenny about pivoting and about saying goodbye to shoulds and hello, serendipity. I love her daily reminder that anything can happen at any time and that we should stop planning and plotting our every move. And the next time that we get stuck in that and think if we just try harder, I know I will and I hope you will too. Remember her story about the overalls and meeting her partner when she didn't even try and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really bad about being a rule follower. I follow all the rules and that can be good sometimes, you know, when you're driving and all of those things, that's a good time to follow the rules of the road. But other times, as she was saying, you know, they say, they say we should do this and getting stuck in all of the shoulds and all of the rules of life. So I'm going to be a little better about breaking the rules. I don't know what that means to people who know me. Maybe I should put a beware sign up that, that there's a new Denise coming out. But I do want to break some rules, the ones that won't hurt anyone. And I love this font, the fear of not trying. Something new for my vocabulary. Because in the end, what would you regret more? Trying and not succeeding or not trying at all? So thanks for joining us today and to get Mentoring Moments the moment it's live every Wednesday. Remember to download new episodes on the Podcast One app or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or podcastone.com and make sure to rate, review, and share. Check out my show notes on Forbes.com and talk to me. I'm easy to find, always on Twitter at Denise Ristari. And until next week, keep sharing your stories because your stories matter. Download new episodes of Mentoring Moments every Wednesday at podcastone.com, Forbes.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. I'm Christina Wallace. And I'm Kate Scott Campbell. And we're the hosts of The Limit Does Not Exist, a podcast for human Venn diagrams. That's right. We talk to people with intersecting interests in the arts, STEM, entrepreneurship, and so much more. The easiest way to explain science to non-scientists is to use art. I worry that we lose a lot of creative engineers because our engineering curriculum is not creative. Education should be about empowering people to become better thinkers, good problem solvers, create 
creative inventors and ethical caring citizens. Download new episodes of The Limit Does Not Exist every Monday on the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. It's time to break the cycle of waste and mess. Time to stop accepting that the way things have been done are the way they should be done. Control-Alt-Delete everything you thought you knew about how to period. We're flipping the script, we're throwing out the book, we're challenging the period status quo. The Diva Cup is eco-friendly, reusable, and offers up to 12 hours leak-free protection. So what are you waiting for? Join the inner revolution with the Diva Cup. The Diva Cup is used for menstrual flow only. Always read and follow the user guide. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower that does not appear to be following following the rule of law is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.